Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hey, everyone. I'm Alex Grodnick. This is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today, I'm talking with a guy who's had an all right career. After getting his MBA at HBS, he took a job at McKinsey. He then went to work for Ray Dalio at Bridgewater. And now he's a venture capital investor in Los Angeles. You're not going to want to miss this one, so stay with us. Quickly, if you want to get a job on Wall Street, your resume better be perfect. Let the pros here at Wall Street Oasis make sure that it is as part of their resume review service. All of their reviewers are working in the industry and are actually looking at resumes of candidates daily. So pay them so that your resume is perfect. Okay, Caleb, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Alex. So you've got an interesting background. You got a new job. Congratulations on getting this new job. Uh, we'll get into what that job is, but before we do, tell us how you got to here, what your path has been. Sure. Well, um, by new job, you're referring to um, venture capital with uh, Kelly Purdue at Moonshots Capital uh, here in Marina del Rey. Uh, how I got here, probably a different path than you might see from most people on on Wall Street Oasis. I uh, started out, uh, grew up small farm town, uh, 18, decided to join the United States Military Academy for college. At that time, I wasn't really aware that colleges were ranked and some were better than others. All I knew is that this one taught you how to survive in the woods and shoot guns, and the other ones didn't. Uh, other than that, pretty much equal across the board. Uh, so I went, joined the Military Academy, um, had an amazing experience there, and spent some time in the military, um, Hawaii, Iraq, um, all over Asia, Indonesia, Philippines, Korea. Uh, and after about a little over five years of that, I just got back from Iraq. I was starting to get interested in business, started flipping houses, and decided that business was um, my next chapter of life. And went down that road, started asking questions, reached out to a lot of um, alumni from the academies. And general consensus across the board was um, business school was a great way to do that transition. And if you like flipping houses, you should try flipping businesses, uh, meaning private equity. And so started following that chain and led me to Wall Street Oasis and business school, uh, McKinsey, Bridgewater, and now here. Those are some good names you just threw out. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> It's just, uh, 
I think a lot of it's uh, a lot of it's luck, uh, positioning, timing, uh, and a lot of it's um, maybe maybe ignorance isn't the right word, but I went into it uh, not having a lot of uh, understanding of all the different options available. And I haven't really explored a whole lot. And so a lot of what I would do is I would just go to any ranking list and start at the top and just start sending my resume from the top to the bottom. And whoever's first to get back to me, that's usually the one I end up going with. And it just so happened that McKin uh, Harvard got back to me first and McKinsey got back to me first and, and Bridgewater actually reached out to me instead of me reaching out to them. And I hard to say no to them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's, let's go to business school. You get into Harvard and HBS, pretty easy, easy decision. All right. I'm going to Boston. Where were you living? Not an easy decision. Not an easy decision. Well, why? Cause of the money? Uh, money's a factor, but there's also the fit factor. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, you know, just pick Harvard, easy decision. But I think there's a lot more that goes into that decision, um, that I actually wasn't aware of. And maybe a lot of people aren't aware of, but, uh, it should be a hard decision. It should be a well-thought-out decision. Well, enlighten us on why that should be. Oh, well, I think, uh, you know, I, I didn't really think of this until I got to Bridgewater, where they really force you to think of these things. Um, but a lot of it comes down to what you value, what you want to do in, your, in life, and who you are. And, you know, when you're young, you're kind of given a recipe or a cookie-cutter uh, template on what that should look like, uh, which makes the, dis the decisions appear obvious. Uh, but as you start going through experiences and learning more about who you are and what you value and the kind of life you want to live, um, decisions actually become less obvious. Uh, and so the more you learn about yourself and the, and the more you come to terms with what you want to do in life, uh, the less obvious decisions become. Uh, so for me, it was a tough decision because uh, I'm a big fan of the West Coast yeah. <laughs> um, and because family and weather and everything's here. Um, but I'm, I also wanted to make sure that I was being exposed to the right kind of people and the right kind of education and the right kind of things. And the business schools are actually very different. And if you get granular on what you're looking for, uh, you might find uh, net-net some are actually better for you than others. Um, turn, turned out, given my particular background and the things I was looking for, uh, I think Harvard was actually a, uh, the right choice at the time. Uh, but it wasn't an obvious decision. Sure. I understand that. And I always say if you want to work in L.A., then... Going to business school in LA is a great option. I don't know that it outweighs <laughs> going to Harvard, but you definitely have a lot of access to people here and networks here, and your everything is here. So there's there's a lot to be said for going to business school where you wanna where yeah. you wanna end up. But that cachet of HBS does does have something. So you said something interesting there about when you went to Bridgewater, they taught you a different way of thinking. Yeah, how they do that. Uh, well, uh, Ray has written a book, Principles, mm -hmm. um, and 
They take it very seriously there. Um, it's really woven into the DNA of the organization. You know, reading the principles gives you a, a fairly good understanding of how people think. Um, but living it, um, having that part of the, the framework of interacting with each other and thinking through, I mean, it's, I think it was like maybe 144 or something and maybe more now, uh, principles and having all of them on the tip of your tongue or in a framework of the work you're doing or the discussions or the thoughts you're even having, um, makes it. Uh, more of a second nature than just having read through the book. And one of the, an underlying foundation of all the principles, I think, is knowing your goal. Um, always talking about the goal. And what I realized is the goal in life can be arbitrary. Um, you pick it, it comes from you, it's something within you. There's no rule book. There's no recipe for deciding what to do in life. Like that's something that just comes from within you and extends from values. And where do your values come from, right? Uh, we can ask those questions and go interesting places. But, yeah, that's a very different podcast. But the uh, <laughs> but it all comes down to like starting with the goal and matching the goal to who you are. And once you anchor on the goal, I think everything else kinds of lines up across some value system that extends from the goal that you select for yourself um, rather than borrowing a goal from you know, having one implanted in you from society or family or friends or peer pressure, right? You know, like we have a lot of um, forces putting goals in front of us um, which cause your decisions and the way you value things to line up according to that system. But when you select your own goal, you create a whole new system of valuing things and making decisions. Right. And, the, and it, you know, from day one, like, all decisions are made. Like, well, wait, what's the goal? What's the goal? That's the, just every meeting is like, well, what's the goal of this meeting? What's the goal of this conversation? What's, what's the goal of me being here? And everything kind of anchors on if you have the right goal or not. Uh, so... Coming out of Bridgewater, starting thinking that way, um, I had to kind of backthink a lot of my thought process, processes and rethink going forward. Right. So you go from McKinsey to Bridgewater, and did you have a different goal pre-Bridgewater and post-Bridgewater? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think so. Uh, in a way, I think I, I think Bridgewater gave me greater clarity on what my goal has been all along. I think maybe at some deep level, intuitively, we're, we're all, we naturally look, are moving towards a goal um, that maybe we only grasp, sub, grasp subconsciously. Uh, Bridgewater caused me to bring that into my conscious reflections, like, hang on, what is this goal? What am I going for? Uh, and so in that sense, I gained greater clarity on a life goal that maybe I lost sight of um, through this military McKinsey Harvard transition and then Bridgewater forced me to like really stop and, and think about what it is I'm, I'm going after. So yeah, interesting. So, 
So it was kind of the same goal all, all along, but it went out of focus and then back into focus. So tell us what the thought process was, how it happened that your job now, your new job, Moonshots, mm-hmm. better aligned with what you wanted to accomplish with your goals than what Bridgewater could offer. Sure. Uh, I think um, a deep value that I have um, is actually freedom. And, you know, we all talk about freedom in different ways and in different contexts. But for me, I think it really extends to my core this idea of uh, uh, more freedom to explore, I think, might be to put a little more color on the value. Um, uh, I love traveling. Uh, I love seeing the world. I love meeting new people and learning new things. I'm just intensely curious. I'm plagued with the worst FOMO, uh, fear of missing out of anything in the world, of most people in the world, I think. And, uh, And it's hard to do all of that if you're not free. And the more free you are, the more you can do. And it's not rational, you know, it's just my source of energy, it's my value. And and so the, the goal then extending from that value is how can I become as free as possible? And what are the ways to increase my freedom? And making lots of money may actually not be a path to freedom, um, or it can be. A lot of it comes down to, well, how are you making money? Um, going and being a hermit in the hills Um, certainly a lot of freedom in that, but it's also very restricted too. And so there's kind of a, it's a simultaneous equation that, you know, I'm working out and solving and I don't even have all the information I need to solve that equation that gives me optimal, uh, freedom. Um, but that is pretty much the driving value, the, the energy behind what I do. And and your question, uh, why, why moonshots? What does this have to do with my goal? And I think I came to a, a realization that um, working hard is, is good, but working hard in the right thing for me um, is better. And so I kind of went back and forth um, in between starting a company or becoming self-employed as an independent consultant, uh, you know, solving this multivariable equation of freedom and uh, looking at all the different business models that uh, grant you this freedom. And lots of reflection, lots of writing, lots of thinking. And in the end, I came down to the realization that uh, freedom is kind of given through technology, right? Um, the, the basic function of technology is to increase our output for our input. And so less input, more output. And the better your technology, the more productivity you have, and the more you can achieve um, with less tax on the person. And in the end, machines, fully automated machines, can give you freedom. My car gives you freedom. Planes give you freedom. Computers give you freedom. 
Uh, Uber and Airbnb give you freedom. Right, right. Yeah, now I can travel the world. I have medicine, right? So I think tech, there's, a, there's this interesting relationship between technology and freedom. And maybe, maybe there's a relationship between technology and any value, right? Technology is a multiplier, an enhancer. Uh, so for me, technology allows me to enhance freedom. Uh, and I wanted to become more involved in that. Uh, but I've also seen many founders, um, classmates, and, and friends that I talk to, a lot of times when they start a company intending to achieve freedom of some kind, the company ends up imprisoning them and owning them and controlling them. And so it's kind of like gave me check. And, and I started thinking, well, uh, maybe st starting a company could give you freedom, but certain only certain companies can give you freedom or certain business models while other business models might end up consuming you and is there a way to tell um at the outset which one it's going to be uh and so i felt that maybe some time in venture capital could help me uh take a look at the different business models that are out there and see who's who's becoming more free and who's becoming less free uh and see if i can see a pattern um, in freedom-compatible businesses versus freedom-incompatible businesses. Right. And, well, since you've only been here a couple months and your boss might listen to this podcast, I don't want to say that this is a stepping stone job, but you want to identify the next thing, like what you could do for yourself. I mean, essentially, you want to be yeah. your own. You want to be well, your I'm fine with uh, Kelly listening to anything I say, you know, uh, I've learned to really value transparency, and so he knows um, he knows where I'm at, and he, he, I think he probably knows that I'm very much undecided as well. Uh, but I do think. What was your question? Um, yeah, I, I just kind of I want to know more, oh. more about why you're here. Yeah, so part of that is the pattern recognition, the learning. Um, I'm also new to LA, and part of the job is going around meeting either amazing founders working on companies or trying to get companies started or going around meeting amazing angels who have exited their companies and are now investing. And through venture capital, I'm kind of at the nexus of that and have the perfect excuse for going around meeting all of these people and at the same time um, doing a service to Kelly as well and, and helping Moonshots Capital um, form their fund and and continue with their investing. Yeah, I mean, no one would argue that this is not a cool job that you have now. This is this is almost as cool as it gets. A lot of people would argue. Would you have been able to get this job right out of HBS? And if not, what were the skill sets that you got at McKinsey and at Bridgewater that allowed you to get this job? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I would have been able to get this job right out of HBS um, or a venture capital job in general unless I had really good inside connection. I didn't know Kelly before. Um, just kind of a cold reach out when I was new to LA and, and looking to build my network. Uh, the skills I think that made me qualified for this job um, I think there's two there's two elements. I think there's the skills and then there's the branding. Um, there's no question that having McKinsey on the resume um, gets me to, in the door. 
and if not just in the door, then also to the top of the pile. Uh, and the reason for that is because of the very highly selective process that McKinsey um, runs you through. That said, I don't think McKinsey alone would have been enough for this job because um, Kelly and his partner, Craig, um, um, neither of them were McKinsey guys. Uh, Kelly did UCLA, but Craig spent, um, he was a Truman Scholar and then spent most of his career in the Army before going straight to entrepreneurship. Um, so I think McKinsey was enough to get me in the door, but I think I really think it might have been Bridgewater that made them trust who I was as a person, um, because I think I think Bridgewater, uh, while McKinsey would filter you for structured thinking and hard work and being able to, you know, pull out a PowerPoint overnight and do some financial modeling without needing training, I think it was Bridgewater that um, filters for values and being an all-around good guy and and higher level thinking and creativity you know things that McKinsey might not necessarily work into their uh, process as thoroughly as Bridgewater does uh, so McKinsey got me in the door but Bridgewater got me the job so in short you're just the total package the perfect human <laughs> <laughs> well I, th I think there's a, some survivor bias I think anybody who got this job you know you ask them to hypothesize on how they got it and they could throw something out. But uh, I, I think in the end, maybe that's a question more for Kelly. But he, he did tell me, like, he called up. They, they, know, um, they know people of Bridgewater and actually called them up and they looked me up. And uh, Bridgewater keeps very, very good detail on their people and qualities. And I happen to have a good... Uh, uh, apparently some good information in their database about my time there. So, Well, that's great. Congratulations. Tell me about how this self-awareness fits into your kind of your whole value proposition. Like what is it that, that's allowed you to be successful? Is it hard work? Is it being in the right time at the right place? Is it knowing what your goal is? Where do all those things stack up? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's more open-mindedness. Uh, I mean, you could say, you know, this is one level of success or one kind of success, and another person would say, no, that's not success. I define success this way. Uh, I think for me, um, I think early on, I didn't know what success looked like because I never really had anyone tell me what success was supposed to look like. Um, you know, my my parental advice was get married and have two kids and don't go in debt and that's success um, and I wasn't sure if I bought that uh, so I stayed a little open minded I would talk to a lot of people I asked questions of anyone I could um, mostly alumni looking back it was still a fairly narrow sample set of people I asked questions from while I was at Harvard I asked questions of every pretty much every classmate I had, and that's still a very narrow sample of people to ask questions from, very correlated uh, sample. And so a lot of my decisions and understanding of, of what direction to go in kind of stemmed from, uh, is an extension of uh, the sample that I was drawing inferences from. Uh, 
so in a way, I was open-minded to what the definition of success was, but I also had a very narrow sample size of the people I was being open-minded to. And so the decisions or the attempts I made at being successful and decisions I ended up being uh, were a function of all my classmates at Harvard feeding into me what success looks like to them. And so I ended up being successful to them and probably this audience. Yeah, and that's something I'm struggling with too, the perception of success and working at prestigious firms versus my own self-worth of what success actually means for me. And that doesn't mean working at great investment banks or it means just being happy on a daily basis and working at a company that no one's ever heard of and maybe they will never have heard of it. But I get, uh, I find my own passion in that. Yeah, so you define success as being happy. A big piece of it is, yeah, being happy and eager to, to do your day every day. When I worked in investment banks for big names and I made lots of money, I never woke up like anxious to go to work, happy to go to work. But were you not successful then? Yeah, you're right. I would think a lot of, pe- a lot of the audience might say that, that that's success, but that's people that don't have that job. You always want like the next thing. And when you get that job, then it's like, okay, now what? And I got that job and I was like, wow, this maybe is not right for me. Uh, and that's why I went to business school was to kind of find out what, what is right for me. And I, I found out that I'm a much more entrepreneurial person than I thought. And sitting in a cube and getting told what to do all day long and having a very narrow job description yeah. was not right for me. But was it business school that gave you that realization or did they just... Uh, business school, it's kind of like how you, what you were saying. They opened my mind and uh, I took this one class and I think it was called like uh, advanced community, some type of communication thing. And in that class, we wrote down the five instances in your life when you felt like you were your most authentic self. And I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast, but so authentic self is defined as firing on all cylinders, feel like you're true. I mean, maybe you felt like that when you were. Yeah, I think we did that one too. Yeah. 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 Uh, And I wrote down these five points in my life and I was looking at them and I was like, wow, all five of these, I was doing something entrepreneurial. I'm starting a business. I'm, you know, selling something for myself. None of those times had anything to do with working for someone else or getting uh, a prestigious job. And so I thought, okay, well, this is clearly what I'm meant to do. And I always kind of knew that in my head. I mean, growing up, I was the entrepreneurial car wash lemonade stand guy. My dad's an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. Like, so that's, I'm on the path now, but it's definitely not easy i i maybe i have more freedom in like how i spend my day but i'm not making very much money now so there's less freedom in the options i can do to you know buy things so it's all it's all a compromise for now yeah uh i see money as kind of the the gap uh in a way um uh you optimize as much as you can outside of money and then there's a number of things that money can buy that you just can't get any other way and that's that's the gap that you're solving for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, a lot of a lot of the, the logic that I heard a lot at school is there's a number. And once you hit that number, then you can buy everything you need. Uh, you don't need to solve for it. You know, money is the is the best way to solve for it. But really, you can solve for 90 95% of the things you value and then money closes the last 5% for you. Uh, and that was another change in my in my 
thought framework a little bit too. Uh, that's interesting because usually I would think in life people think of a number and they hit that number and now that number's not good enough anymore and now they have to hit a higher number. And so I like the show uh, Master of None, Aziz on Netflix and he's not doing the third season because he said, why do I need to do a third season? I'm, I ha- I've, I've hit my number. Like why am I working just to make more money when I have enough money? And so yeah. he's not doing a third season and I'm kind of bummed about that but I respect his, his outlook. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the, the tricky thing with numbers is uh, a number doesn't make you feel full, right? If you, if you convert the number into something like donuts or cars, it's easy to be like, wow, you know, if I've had way too many donuts to eat today, I can probably stop eating donuts. Or, you know, I have way too many cars, they're being a problem. Or, man, all these houses are being a headache, right? You convert it into actual tangible objects, you hit a point where you're just saturated and you just can't take anymore. But a number, it's, it's invisible, it's weightless, uh, it just changes, and there's no point of satiation that comes from having that higher number, which is why once you hit it, it only makes sense to keep going higher because you're not converting it into consumption, really. Well, this has turned into a very philosophical podcast. I like it. It's great. <laughs> I haven't done this before. Um, so I'll get you out of here on this. Let's just kind of give us a little bit more about this job. I mean, I know it's, it's new, but what do you, what's your task? Are you out there? You said speaking with other angel investors, inspirational entrepreneurs, but, but a little bit more. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's actually a startup. Uh, it's, and the thing we're starting up is a venture capital fund. Uh, and it's, so it's, I'm doing a little bit of everything as mo- as many startups are, uh, do uh, some marketing, business development, um, operations, um, and track task tracking, holding meetings, um, and then there's the standard venture capital business operations, um, raising funds, um, dealing with deal flow, and uh, Kelly has a pretty well known name, and he's got a good portfolio of CEOs from all his angel and syndicating days that are keep um, sending deals in. And he's also got a lot of interest um, from LPs um, or institutional LPs who want to invest in the fund. And so uh, <clears throat> there's constant flow from both sides, from, from capital raising side and deal sourcing side. And I'm kind of running over all of that. That sounds like a good place to be. Yeah, it's a small team right now. And, you know, you're the one guy. One of my goals coming here was to, you know, really get, jump in the deep end of this of this pool and immerse myself in this world and get to know as many people in L.A. as possible uh, and, you know, everywhere else we invest, uh, which is a larger footprint than I initially expected coming in. Uh, but, yeah, I'm getting a lot of exposure uh, the hours have been longer than I initially uh, thought they would be, but once uh, I think once the learning the steep learning curve levels off, uh, I should be able to getting back to some lifestyle goals as well. And and that freedom. Yeah, and the freedom. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Well, Caleb, this is this is fun talking with you. Thanks so much for doing it. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for listening today. Please tell your friends about the podcast. I want to grow this thing. Thanks very much. Bye.